Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 117 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's episode is a little bit different. I am talking to a widow, not a bereaved parent, and I will go into that a bit further just at the beginning of the interview, so I won't do much now. But I do want to invite you to visit this guest's webpage, marialessi.com. Alessi is spelled A-L-E-S-S-I. If you don't catch that right now, it's okay, because she will say it again at the end. But her movement is called A Loving Life After Loss. And it is beautiful and amazing. And even though her story is quite different from ours as a widow and not a bereaved parent, she has a lot to offer bereaved people in general. And I really enjoyed talking to her, and I know you will enjoy it as well. Thank you so much, Marie, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I I know. I'm really excited, too. I So just to explain to my audience, I... I uh, got an email from Marie just a couple of weeks ago, so not that long ago, and she started out telling me a bit about herself and the fact that she is a little bit different from my other guests because Marie is a widow. So normally, I really focus on child loss and talking to bereaved parents, but as I read more about Marie... And then I went on her website, learning more about kind of her project and what she's really been doing. I thought, this totally fits. This absolutely fits with what I do. And I thought you you would be a great resource for parents. Thank you so much for saying that. I have to say, you know, the platform we connected on is all about connecting people that have got a message to share. And when I saw your story, I was hesitant at first to actually reach out to you because I realized that you usually have bereaved parents as your guests. But there was something about your story that really intrigued me and touched me. And I thought with what I do, it would be so beautiful to come together and we'll, we'll definitely get to a little bit more of that during the interview. But thank you so much for reaching out. I, at the same hesitation, I'm glad we both didn't stop there and connected. I know. I'm glad we both like just went a little bit past that hesitation. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's perfect. And if you notice the accent, we are from really literally opposite sides of the world. We are. So <laughs> as we're recording here, I am at a Monday night and she is on a Tuesday morning and it's just great. It's amazing. So you can see if you watch the video, I am all dark behind me because yeah. it is pitch dark outside mm-hmm. and she is in a bright sunny room. So yeah. It's quite literal when you even yeah. look at us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually originally from Austria, but I do live in Australia now. So I'm half been since 2004. So yeah, still opposite sides of the world. Okay. 
Okay. Well, I'm excited to have a guest from Australia, though, because you're my first one and you probably win the award for the furthest, I would guess. <laughs> I had a woman from South Africa, which is quite far too, but yeah. pretty sure Australia is going to have that beat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you. why don't you just start out by telling us about your husband, Rob, and your life really with Rob? Yay. How many hours have we got? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, <laughs> how do I put this? Rob and I, we're really that couple, you know, that one couple that everybody talks about madly in love still after 13 years of marriage. And, you know, I often describe meeting Rob as before I met Rob, there were a lot of fireworks and lots of ashes and then I met Rob and there was this tiny little flame when I first met him and I remember one of the first feelings that I consciously had for him was that I felt so safe around him I felt sheltered I felt cared for I felt nurtured next to him he had this energy that really oozed into into my heart like I felt so nurtured and taken care of and that happened before I actually realized that I was slowly but surely falling in love with him, you know. And I remember that thinking he would be so perfect, you know, but not realizing, still not realizing. And I kept thinking, oh, I wish I could fall in love with this guy. He's so perfect. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, I think I'm in love with this guy. This is so bizarre, you know. <laughs> it's like it was really such a slow triggering, a triggering process for me, which uh, was very unusual. And I have to say that never stopped until the moment he passed I kept falling in love with this person and kept discovering more and more beautiful things about him and I was just truly madly in love with his soul with his character with his way of being with his way of being a husband a lover a father you know he was the most amazing person that I had in my life to support me and to look up to me and I looked up to him it was really like whoever I talked to he put me on a pedestal and everybody always said oh my god Rob doesn't stop raving about you I'm like oh my god the expectation <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we really we really created our dream life that we both always had we both did not know when we first met that our dream wedding was a barefoot wedding at the beach we both always had this dream and when we both shared it we were like Oh my God, I can't believe you have the same vision. And we had our best <laughs> wedding at the beach and we had two boys, Flynn and Jed. They're meanwhile um, almost 14 and almost 12. So in two months, they both have their birthdays. We, we lived a really, really happy life. I started my own business. You know, I went out of the advertising world after deciding that we're going to have a family because I've worked in a quite top of the career ladder in advertising. I, I really didn't want to go any further than what I had reached. I was offered another promotion and decided to tell them there and then that I was pregnant at that stage. I was offered that final promotion and just said thanks but no thanks and turned my back on the advertising world. Stayed at home for about three and a half years to raise our kids and then when my little one was old enough to go to preschool as well, I started off with my own business that I had uh, created and that was in coaching. So I looked after people after people's mindset, I really help people in terms of growth, in terms of stepping out of themselves and really becoming the true authentic self who they wanted to be, helping in their career, in their transitions. And I did that for basically about seven years. And that's when adversity hit us 
So I don't know if you want me to go any further than that or if you have any questions. But uh, Yeah, if you want to go on and now talk a little bit about what happened, uh, yeah. Yeah, this would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened that day was it was mid-June in 2018 and uh, Rob was supposed to wake me up in the morning and he was on the other side of Australia on a business trip. And he said, I'll wake you tomorrow morning because my, my phone was updating and I couldn't, I couldn't use it for an alarm. And we were chatting that night and, uh, you know, we would chat every single day when he was away. And, and I still remember our final conversation that we had, not knowing it was the last time we would speak, was about love and connection. You know, he told me about this couple that he met over dinner. They were lining up, started chatting, and they insisted he would sit with them and he talked to them about the five love languages and again he was raving about me he told me this <laughs> that was our final conversation we had and it was like i love you i love you too i'll talk to you tomorrow and that tomorrow never came so in the morning he said he'd call at 7 30 i woke up i looked at the alarm clock 7 31 and i knew something had happened really it, and it, i tell you it was not just that he was a minute late rock was always on time he would never let me down he would always he he was so reliable in anything and everything but there was something deep inside me that told me something had happened and I did not want to buy into that so you know as a mom I went about my day I got my kids ready for school my little one was not feeling well so he stayed home which was really unfortunate for that day because I was under so much stress and my anxiety levels were rising by the minute not hearing from him that I didn't know how to properly hide that. Because you couldn't call him? I couldn't call him. I was calling him, calling right. him, calling him. It went to message bank, like, you know, it would yeah. ring out all the time. So I kept coming up with more and more excuses what could have happened. He could have left his phone in a hotel. He could have lost his phone in a cab. He could have, you know, I, I was coming up with more and more excuses, but my anxiety was rising. And Rob and I were so in tune that around lunchtime, it hit me, I'm like, I've got his number from the hotel where he's staying. So I called the hotel and as I had this thought, I had a very a very short vision of Rob collapsing in a shower and I'm, I'm dismissing that. I'm thinking, no, stop it, Marie. Just just calm down. Just call the hotel. Right. And I'm calling the hotel and I'm saying, look, I'm Marie Alessi. I believe my husband's staying with you. Can you please send somebody up to his room? I said, I'm not one of those wives talking their husbands. I'm just, you know... My husband didn't call me and he was supposed to call me. I'm just worried and I just want to make sure. And before I hung up, I said, and can you please send somebody to check in a shower? I'm like, I thought they must be thinking I'm completely mad, you know. Oh, that's where they found him. He had collapsed in a shower and died from a brain aneurysm. So it was very sudden, completely unexpected in the prime of his life, 45, healthy, surfer, you know, and... uh, that was it. Our boys were at 10 and 8 at the time. So awkwardly fitting that we talk about grief here and losing your children. And I'm talking about the loss that my children experience, which is a very different perspective, but it is very real. And also, you know, when you think about what came out of that, and we haven't shared this yet, then it will all make sense to the audience here listening to our story, to our things that we share why we are having this conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, too, I can relate to you so much as a mother Mm. watching my own kids 
grieve their brother. It's yeah. not dissimilar to you ha watching your kids grieve their dad. And yeah. that was one of the hardest parts of the whole grief journey is watching your children hurt. I mean, mm. it's, it's, incredibly horrible to lose them. And I know you don't have that experience, but it is also so painful to watch the pain in their eyes and to watch yeah. them go through this grief yeah. journey. And, and it's hard to know how to guide them and, and mm. what to do. So I do really can certainly relate to you as a mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is certainly quite a journey, you know, for all of us. And it is just something where I also want to put a little disclaimer out there. And this is something that I have learned over the last couple of years with the work that I do. And only through another parent that I talked to that I have got in my movement who has lost his son, did I finally have that or find that permission within me to take off that social label that we put on that it is, there is no worse experience than losing a child. This is a very subjective label that society put on as a general, and mm -hmm. it is so dismissing other people's grief as well, and it's so stopping some of the parents who actually want to heal. I think we need to let go of these labels, what is the worst and what is the best or easier or less easier, and I'm saying that with a whole lot of respect for all the parents that have suffered through this, that have experienced this. This is not to be disrespectful. This is to open ourselves up to the opportunity and to the possibility to heal something that society has told us all our lives is impossible to ever heal. And that's, that's all I want to say here. And this comes with a whole lot of love. This is not disrespectful to any parent who has lost a child. And as I said, I only feel that I had the permission to actually say that as somebody who hasn't lost a child because I work so closely with people who have lost children who have told me that from their perspective, who are people that have healed. So I just want to put this out there as it is possible and as an act of hope to not restrict ourselves that we can't ever heal from this because I believe that we can heal from whatever we put our minds to and whatever we open our hearts to yet often we don't feel that we have the permission to heal often we feel that this is our role we have to suffer because there is nothing worse out there and there are a lot of society's labels and expectations that are actually keeping us stuck in the suffering and in the pain rather than helping us heal and opening our hearts so i understand this might come as a very hard pill to swallow for some, but yeah. So what ends up happening too is that as a bereaved parent, you end up feeling this tremendous guilt yeah. all the time, right? If you start to feel a bit of happiness or start yeah. to feel a little better, even for moments at a yeah. time, you know, you immediately jump to, I shouldn't feel this way. How could I possibly? I yeah. This way. And the guilt just goes up so high yeah. and it's, it's so hard. And you're right. When you have that label on you, it, it's not let, that you won't still have scars because you will. Yeah. The scars will be there. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't heal. Yeah. You will still have those visible scars. I mean, yeah. just any sort of healing. Right. You have a surgery. I'm a doctor. You have a surgery. Yeah. You're going to have a scar forever. Yeah. 
But that doesn't mean you that surgery didn't help you and make mm. you better. And that's what our grief journeys can help us and make us better and get us to a sense of healing. That yes. doesn't mean we have to forget. And that doesn't mean we love our children any less. Yeah. Because I also think that ends up being a thing yeah. that you feel like, oh, if I don't, if I'm not sad every moment mm. and miserable every moment, I didn't love him enough. And also, you know what, I really often feel that if we keep doing that, we keep reducing ourselves to that scar only. And our lives and our children's lives, our loved ones, whoever that is that you have lost in your life, whoever passed over in your life, it doesn't mean that we reduce our entire life to their passing. To that moment. And their entire life to their passing because there was so much more to them than just their passing. There was an entire life, an entire being to celebrate. And when we just keep staring at that wound or at that scar or we keep picking it open again and again to not let it heal, we reduce our entire being and their entire presence to just that scar. And how sad would that be? Because there's so much more to them. You know, they lived an entire life, their entire life. That's what I talk to you about in my entire podcast. This is what I do first every single yeah. week. Every single week we talk about that child and who they were as mm. a person and getting to know them as a person. And I love then it. And we talk about what happened. I absolutely love it. That cannot be the focus ever. Mm. So if you listen to my podcast, we will talk for an hour I don't want the majority of that talk to be about that death process. Yeah. That's not that's not the focus. The focus is first of all to talk about them just so people can get to know them and because yeah. as parents you really do desperately want your children to be remembered. Yeah. That is that is a thing. That is Absolutely. I think my biggest thing is that I really just don't want to be the only one who remembers Andy. I yeah. want other people to remember him you know yeah. my he will never have children that will remember him i cannot yeah. look in their eyes and and yeah. see him nothing like that he mm. he does not live on anyway he only lives on in my memory so i want him to live on in other people's memories as yeah. well so that's the the first thing and then i want to talk about the healing mm. and the journey and the hope and giving people the idea that there is hope yeah. And there is healing. And I have people from all sorts of, you know, people that are just a few months out from their grief. I have people that are 20, 30 years out yeah. on their grief journey. Yeah. And we all can kind of learn from each other and we can all give each other a little bit of hope. So yeah. the early ones go, oh, I can, I can do this. I mm. can do this. I can look at this person and go, look at what she's doing. Look at what he's doing. I can do that too. Yeah. And the ones that are further out can say, oh, I remember when I was like that, but I'm not like mm. that anymore. Yeah. And I can see how far I've come, you know? Yeah. I also want to say something at this stage, Marcy, because it's just something that I have learned that I found so incredibly important to mention. And that is, you know, that saying time heals all wounds. I couldn't agree less with that. It is not yeah. time that heals our wounds, it is our intention, our absolute yes. intention if we do or don't want to heal this. And even if we do want to heal this and don't know how yet, the intention is there. And that's what you need as a first step, that wanting yeah. to heal. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Hard work yeah. heals wounds. 
Hard yeah. work heals wounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Intention, dedication, you know, little action steps. It doesn't even have to be big ones, but little steps to go forward. And in the work that I do, so many people say, but how can I let go of this? You know, and a lot of people worry that if they let go of that, of the pain, of the suffering, of that grief, that they lose their last connection with their loved ones. But it couldn't be further from the truth because it comes back to what we just said before. We are reducing their entire life to just their passing and we don't want that. We really want to keep their legacy alive and to keep their life in our minds and in our hearts and really share that with other people. And that's the work that you do. That's the work that I do. And that's why I'm so happy that we're connecting here today. So why don't you talk now about how this work started with you? Yeah. So basically when I got this phone call, I, um, I sort of instantly knew that something happened, something big happened. And then when I, it literally took from the morning, 7.30 a.m. till 4 p.m. roughly in the afternoon till I finally received a phone call because it was against their etiquette. They're, they had, um, you know, they're not supposed to tell people over the phone. They're supposed to send police to their house. And I was so looked after in the entire process. I was so looked after. And I'm so grateful that the circumstances did not allow for police to be sent to our house. But I heard it over the phone. This gave me the permission to share this with our children rather than police coming to our house, complete strangers and scarring them for life worse than it already had to happen anyway. I was the one who could tell them. I was the one who could be there and hold space for them and hug them and cry with them and not police officers, strangers to rock up into our house and tell my boys that their dad had passed. I didn't want that. So I was really grateful that from the first moment I was looked after during this process, you know. So I share that with the boys. We we hugged, we cried together, they screamed. It was really very, it, it pierced my heart, I have to admit. You know, it was really one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, there are two sentences that came from one of the kids each that really, they, they're burned in my memory forever. My older son looked at me and he said, who will look after us now, mum? And I said, I will. And I remember saying it twice, I said, I will look after you, Flynn. And only in hindsight did I realize how important it was for me in that moment to actually say that out loud. You know, it was like a promise that I didn't just make to him, but also to me and to Rob, and that I would be there for them no matter what. You might think it's such a natural, it's such a given as a mom, but it's really important to actually make this decision in your heart. And it helped me so much later on to completely accept that I'm now a sole parent and not go into, oh, poor me, I'm now a single mom, how am I ever going to do that? Not just a single mom, I'm a sole parent, huge difference. I only realized that a few weeks ago, believe it or not. (laughs) And the sentence that came from my little one, he was eight at the time, he looked at me exactly those words. He said, I'm only eight and I'm not going to have a daddy anymore. And he sobbed and it pierced my heart. And I could feel that sadness, that heaviness that came with that and how helpless he felt. And I just knew in my heart in that very moment, I had to do whatever it takes to create the happiest life possible for those two boys. And this is something that Rob and I had promised each other. You know, when you have these chats with parents, you hear things on the radio, on the news, something happens, you think it's tragic, you feel the tragedy for a moment, but you always have this thing in your head, it's not me, that only happens to others, you know. 
But then all of a sudden it's reality. And I'm like, and now is the time where this promise takes place. This promise where I always thought we were talking about theory was now absolute reality. And we always said to each other, if something ever happens to you, I want you to create the happiest life possible for you and the boys. We said that to each other. And here I was. I'm like, this is the moment. This is my, this is my thing that I need to do right now. And from there, I somehow switched into functioning mode. I went through everything that had to be done. We flew out to the other side of Australia the next day, five hours on the plane to get there to identify Rob's body and prepare the kids for that. I knew they had to come with me. I knew we had to do this together. I knew they needed a form of closure. I left it open to them. I explained what it meant. I explained what to expect, and they both wanted to come with me. It was the most beautiful moment. I'm so grateful we did this together. And there would have been no way to fly to the other side of Australia without them if they had just experienced, oh, dad flew away and never yeah. came home. There's no way I could have left them behind with their grandparents or anybody really. So we did this together, we got through it together, we did the funeral together, and then a few weeks and months into it, with having my sole effort on creating happy moments, happy little snippets and building it up more and more, it was my daily focus, happiness. I want happiness for them. I want it for me. I wanted to honour the promise that we made for each other. I wanted to honor the happy couple that we were and the happy person that Rob was. So there were enough reasons to keep that up and to keep really putting all my efforts into that. And and I very quickly realized how different I was handling grief to what other people around me expected, to what society ex expects of you. I didn't like and still don't like the label of a widow. It doesn't suit me. I always felt like widows are old women wearing black. And I mean, I'm wearing black today, but just by accident, but it's not my, my usual color. But it's just, you know, I just did not fit and did not want to fit that label. I didn't want to fit any labels. I wanted to create something different, something that creates hope and happiness. In particular for the boys, little did I know at that stage what a huge impact it would have on the rest of the world. But there in that moment, it was for my boys and for me alone. And then through reactions from people around me, I realized how different we handled it. And I started doing live videos to talk about our updates and where we were, mainly to inform friends and family without having to talk to everybody. It was more to protect us than to go out in the open, that I went out in the open. Does that make sense? I just didn't want... Yeah. Everybody to come and ask I was really overwhelmed by that. So I started doing live videos on my personal page to share updates where we were and what we needed and didn't need, you know. I set boundaries through that as well, which was amazing. And then about four months into it, I was sitting with my counsellor. I saw a counsellor for about four months after Rob passed. And I remember saying to her how overwhelmed I was by all these expectations from society that people expect you to fall apart and people expect you to be sad and to you know, just be miserable and in pain, basically. And she looked at me and said, so what does grief mean to you, Marie? And I'll never forget that because she asked it so calmly and completely unexpected. The answer that came up for me was empowerment. And I said, wow, I did not expect that answer, but that's the first word that came up when you asked me that. And in that moment, how we talked about what that meant to me, feeling empowered, I felt I was gifted with so much strength to be there for the boys, to 
walk this journey with them to be that sole parent, to create happiness for them. I felt I was constantly gifted with strength and power and I felt I was always looked after and that's not just an empty sentence. I truly felt I was always looked after the entire journey. I felt so looked after. I have no other words. And in that moment, I looked at her and I said, I, I think I need to share our story. I think I need to write a book about this. So off I went. I wrote a book about our story. I first wanted to call it A Love Legacy for Rock, but then the lady who took me under her wings with the book writing process suggested that title, Loving Love After Loss. And at first I felt, oh, it's way too commercial. I don't like it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, the more I felt, this is the perfect title for the book. That's exactly what it is. The entire book, my entire life, our entire life has become about loving life after the loss that we have experienced. So it became so suitable and I decided to use that title and I uh, wrote and published a book in a matter of four weeks. It was like a download. I was just literally sharing the story, how I met Rob, how we fell in love, barefoot wedding, having the boys, our dream home, all these things, and then how he passed and how we dealt with it. And I felt I wanted to share that to give people hope, to see, for them to see that there is a different way of dealing with it, that you are allowed to create happiness after an adversity, that you are allowed to create that life that you feel you need to feel good, to feel protected, to feel that your life still matters and that your life can still be about something other than just the adversity that you've been through. Your adversity changes you, but it doesn't define you. You know, you can make it the igniter of a creation of something new, of that new you that you want to be. But the old you is not gone. It becomes part of it. Do you know what I mean? It is such a, yeah. it's, it's so much more than you were before, but it doesn't reduce you to that. And that's how I love seeing it. So when I shared this book, I was simply blown away. I had no idea that the next day when I woke up, I got notifications that, my book hadn't only just made it to Amazon number one bestseller, but I ranked in the top 100 of Australia. Wow. And I was like, I have something the world needs. And it didn't even dawn on me there and then. It took me another two or three months. But that was literally the moment that was so unexpected for me, absolutely unexpected. I had no idea. And after the book was published, I had actually booked a trip around the world with the boys. I took them traveling for two months around the world. We went to like, I think we counted it the other day. It was eight or nine countries in seven weeks. No, seven countries in nine weeks, something around that. We were traveling for two months to quite a few countries. I just wanted to create new happy memories for them. I just wanted to be away from all these first milestones without Rob, you know, the Christmas, the New Year's, yeah. both boys' birthdays in January. I just wanted to take them away and create happiness and live life, you know, just away from all these expectations where nobody knew us, just traveling around the world and just being, being family created such a strong bond between the three of us. And we flew back to Vienna for Christmas to spend Christmas with my mom because I felt I could just hide away there. There was nobody else around, just my mom, the boys and I. I remember sitting in my bed back there and it's quite funny going back to Vienna because it was the place that I lived in before I moved to Australia. My mom took over that apartment when I left so I was basically back to my roots, you know, and sitting there in the bed. And that's when I had this epiphany that this is 
so much bigger than just us, so much bigger than me and the boys, so much bigger than Rob and I, so much bigger than the four of us. I felt there was something that I had, as I said, that the world needs, you know, hope and happiness and healing. And that's where I birthed that idea of making a movement out of it, starting a global movement around this loving life after loss. I gave it the exact same title because I thought it was so suitable. And when I came back home to Australia, that's when I opened the doors to this movement. 19th of March, 19, I still remember. Yeah, two and a half years later, way over 3,000 members to the date. It's been an incredible ride of learning, of healing, of teaching, of sharing, of giving, of holding space, of spreading love and offering hope and healing and happiness where people expected the least but needed the most. That's basically, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. what it comes down to. What I really found the most interesting when you're speaking there is just you saying that you felt empowerment because I do have to say that the majority of people that I feel like I talk to, we talk about feeling powerless. Yeah. That you that it's hard to feel powerless. Yeah. And that's why a lot of a lot of us end up feeling guilt yeah. over different things. What didn't I yeah. do? What could I have done? Yeah. Because it's so hard when you feel completely powerless. When you feel like there's yeah. absolutely nothing I could have done to change anything. Mm. And then that powerlessness is kind of just there. It, it happened to me. I mean, what mm. when you lose one child, it, your whole world is just rocked yeah. when it's an unexpected accident like losing Andy like he did. Yeah. That suddenly your safe world is not. And I That's felt a huge thing. powerless. Yeah. And I felt like this could happen again. Right. Mm. And you just get a little panicky. Like, yeah. oh, if yeah. I could lose one. Yeah. I could lose all three. Yeah. And then, and then you just have that fear. I, that was the biggest surprise I had in my entire grief. I expected sadness. Yeah. I didn't expect fear. Yeah. And the fear is because it's of that so powerless real. feeling. So yeah. that's, that's what really hit me with you talking now yeah. is feeling empowered. Yeah. Because, how do you get to that point? You know, how do you, I mean, you just naturally did, mm. but how do you help others maybe yeah. feel a little bit of that? Because I feel like that is lacking. That's a really, yeah. certainly in me, but I think not just in me. That's a really amazing observation that you have. I'm really grateful that you asked this because, you know, coming back to the fear, I'd like to say something about that before I answer your question about uh, empowerment. When I saw Emily, my beautiful counsellor, she's a positive psychologist, I felt that I could work through my grief really quickly because I was very blessed that I had all these mindset tools that I've been teaching for seven years. You know, when I was 20, I lost my dad. I was not equipped to deal with that loss whatsoever. I actually called it a loss. I did not know how to deal with it for a whole year. I was just wiped. I can't remember much in that one year. I I had no tools to deal with it. It was intense pain. I was so close to my dad. It was also quite unexpected. He was in remission with cancer. You know, he was healed for over a year and all of a sudden the cancer came back and within a month it took him. There was no time, you know, within a month he was gone. 
And even though people are like, well, yeah, the amount to repair, you're never prepared. And even if you are, you're not, if that makes sense, you know. So I never want to compare, well, you knew, you didn't know. Every every loss is so different. Every every person's passing is so different. Circumstances are different. Families are different. We're not here to compare. Don't don't ever fall into this trap of comparing whose loss is worse or more recent or, you know, different because it's, just the parent or it is a child or you know please 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 don't ever fall into this trap of comparing your grief fall into this space of holding space for each other and offering hope and love for each other when people feel powerless or feel helpless and I remember when I was talking to Emily as I said I felt that I was moving from a grief really quickly because of the tools that I had learned the mindset tools and all of a sudden I could apply them to myself and everything that she said was like a seed planted that grew really quickly and I was like wow you know it was it really felt like a fast forward journey for me to work through my grief the one thing that I couldn't shake, and that's exactly what you named, Marcy, was the fear that this could happen again. I can't even say it was just the fear. I was actually petrified that something could happen to one of my children. I was absolutely petrified, and even more so when I started the movement because all of a sudden I was working with people who had experienced different adversity, and there were moms, dads in there, who have lost children and that was the one thing that I had never experienced and that doubled and tripled my fear what if and this sounds maybe really bizarre but some of you might be able to really relate to that what if the universe now wants to teach me a lesson this is how it feels now you can help those people too I was literally petrified that this could happen to me that one of my kids or god forbid both of them could pass So I could teach others how to deal with it. I was really petrified. It was playing mind games with me. I did not know how to work with this fear. This is where I felt paralyzed. This is where I felt at a complete loss in how to deal with it. And I actually, after, you know, after finishing my work with Emily, I said, this is the one thing I've got left that I don't know how to shake, but I also don't know how to continue the work around that I actually about half a year later I came back to her to work on that again because I still couldn't shake it and this is only over time and this might sound so much easier said than done the answer was really very simple but by God not easy and that was by constantly focusing on love and trust for what is because none of us has got anything in the in their control when it comes to our future. We we cannot change the past. We have nothing under control for the future. And when you think about anxiety, anxiety really translates the fear of the future. So the more we bring it back to now and what is, and there's this beautiful, beautiful book, Byron Katie, Loving What Is, incredible. It was so helpful for me to really practice that and learn that loving what is being in the moment. And as I said, it sounds easier said than done. I said the answer is very simple, but it's not easy. It was really challenging for me to practice that. But the more I did, because my focus was on love, the more the fear fell off and started to dissolve, if that makes sense, without me realizing. My focus wasn't on the fear anymore. It was on the love. Does it mean that my fear has completely disappeared? Every now and 
then it still hits me. It still comes back. And I'm going to share one tiny little moment to to demonstrate what I'm talking about here. A few months back, our dog had gotten out and I didn't realise. And I, for whatever reason, went upstairs, I called out for Jed and he didn't answer. And it was my, my younger son. And I went downstairs and I saw Flynn in his room and the door to Jed's room was open. I said, have you seen Jed? He said, no. I said, where is he? I went downstairs, I went upstairs, I checked the bathrooms, I checked everywhere, I checked outside. And the more I couldn't find him, there was panic setting into my heart. And then Mm -hmm. before I knew it, I was screaming his name like a complete maniac. I was like, Jed, you know, like screaming into the neighbourhood. And I could feel my heart pounding and I had all these scenarios going on. The door was open and who could have taken him? And he... And I'm like, Marie, you're losing your mind. Just get your <clears throat> together and really just calm down, you know. I All of a sudden, I recognized what had happened. It triggered a really, really deep fear within me that I needed to let go of. And he was coming down the road with Lilo, our dog, on the leash. Like, oh, Lilo had gotten out. I just went to get her. Completely innocent. We live in a small town. There's no no danger whatsoever for him to go on the street and run after a dog. You know, he's 11, almost 12. He can do that. But in my mind, I went, oh, my God, he got abducted. He, he got whatever, you know. I went worst case scenario. And I was yeah. like, back to love, Marie. Back to trust. Back to it is an ongoing learning curve for us that when things trigger us, to remind ourselves of what we have already learned. And it's not that we're back to square one. It's not that we have to learn it from scratch. It is that we have to remind ourselves in those moments to be compassionate with ourselves for what we feel, to understand why fears can be triggered so easily, but to also understand that we can let go of them just as quickly as they came and go back to love because this is the only place where we can live from in safety and harmony and happiness and it's not an illusion it's something that we can create that was really important to me that's interesting that you say that so I recently so I'm a Christian and I Mm -hmm. have recently been working with a pastor a little bit and I said to him our last meeting I said I just feel like I just can't trust anymore I just that's that's my biggest thing is is trust Mm. And I expected him to talk to me about trust, but his whole goal for me to work on was to just be present. Yeah. He said, I want you to just be. Mm-hmm. And so that's so interesting that you're explaining that to me now, because now that makes sense. He mm-hmm. wanted to me to just be comfortable just being. And so I've been trying to do that. I, I wear a bracelet that says be still because Andy's favorite Bible verse was be still and know that I am God. So I remind mm. myself constantly to be still. Yeah. And yesterday, I even had a moment I was cooking, I was doing something in the kitchen. And I had this revelation that at that moment, I was content. Mm. And I thought, I did, I just, that was new for me, because I yeah. haven't really felt that way. And I thought, yeah wow, this is really profound that I yeah. just am, oh, yeah. am content in this moment. Like in that moment, 
I wasn't feeling like a bereaved, sad mom. I wasn't feeling yeah. cheated or robbed or sad or mm-hmm. fear, you know, had the fear, any of it. I just felt content. And I really think it's because yeah. I've been trying now, especially for this past week, to have moments of time where I'm just being. I'm mm-hmm. just existing and trying to just be in that moment, just as you so were beautiful. Kind of explaining. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was just, and it wasn't even a long time, mm. but it was revolutionary for me. So, and now I know why he did it. And incredibly, <laughs> as you said, profound, you know, when we ask this. I'm glad you know now. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like, I mean, it's not like it was tricking me, but I was like, oh, that's where you're going with that. That's yeah. how you get the trust back. You get the trust back yeah. from just being in the moment and being present and not thinking about the future or thinking about what the future doesn't have because yeah. that is a big big thing that is a difference mm-hmm. between losing a parent losing a spouse and losing yeah. a child is yeah. that, that people say you know when you lose your parents you lose your past when you lose your spouse you lose your present when you lose your child you lose your future because mm-hmm. that really is true you just think about your future and you think about your child's future and yeah. all of those memories that they don't have and that can end mm. up haunting you a little bit too yeah. much if you think oh, too much in yeah. the future yeah. but if you bring yourself back in the present and then not try to jump too far ahead yeah is really helpful and the most amazing part is when we understand that only in the present we can create the future when we think ahead we can't change anything we can't create anything there we can only create it here by focusing on what we want and not what might be just here, what we want. What is it that I want right now? What is it that I want? What is the action that I need to take right now? And one of those actions might be just be. I had to laugh when you said that because two days ago I had a healing journey with my supervision coach and that was her message for me or actually the message from my higher self to just be. And she said, you know, the agenda for this healing journey that I want to do with you is like, oh, I'm getting this no agenda for Marie, no agenda, just be. I'm like, yes, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. No agenda. I've got so many agendas. I just need to be. And, you know, this is the most beautiful way to be, to just be, to be in the moment, to be present. And that is where you can sit in love rather than going into fear. And that's what we all need the most, really. It's the most amazing. Right. Yeah, I always say love is the eternal power source that we can all plug into at any given stage. That's what we all need for healing. Well, and I think it's very fitting that we came together at this moment in time when we are both Absolutely. focusing on that same thing, Yeah, right? just be. That's beautiful. It's <laughs> like it was meant to be. I just want to hug you. <laughs> I know. I'll give you a virtual hug from the other side of the world. Yeah. Tell me about your movement and what kind of is going on with it and yeah. how people can maybe even get plugged in a little bit yeah I'd love to so similar to you Marcy when you started your podcast you know I was looking out for you know what is out there what can support me in my healing and all I found was support in suffering and it's actually quite sad but every grief support group I looked at was supporting the suffering the staying stuck in the pain the comparison everywhere I looked it was just a comparison match over whose loss was worse and whose loss was more recent and who had lost more people and who was younger when they died and 
I was mortified. I was literally mortified. All the messages oh, were like, sad. you know, it'll never be it'll never get better this will always stay with you there'll always be a hole in your heart everything was just negative and around suffering and you know for me i had to reframe that i do not like that saying there'll always be a hole in my heart i like there'll always be a place in my heart for rob and there always will be if i had a hole in my heart all the memories would just fall through but if i have a place in my heart that's where he'll always reside and he'll always be my son's father, no matter what, he'll always be part of our family, you know, and that was really, really important. And every child, every person will always be part of that family, no matter whether they're physically present or not. And that is really important to know for family constellation. If anybody's familiar with that work, it is so important. You'll always be part of that system, of that family. So, yeah, when I looked around, there was no support and I always compared it to if you were to walk into a field a battlefield you know because we had this comparison before with the physical wounds and if you were to walk over a battlefield of wounded people you would not ever in your right mind walk around going like, oh that will hurt forever let's put some salt in there don't don't let that heal just put some more salt in there keep that wound open yeah mm -hmm. you would do that who in their right mind would walk around oh you're bleeding a lot worse than the other but that's horrible everybody would go like put a dressing on get that wrapped up let's rinse that wound let's heal that let's you know he needs to go and have an operation, you would go into solution mode, into who needs what treatment and help rather than comparing who's is worse and let, let that wound not heal. That will stay with you forever. Let's make sure that's going to be the biggest and fattest scar out of all of them. Do you see the comparison? Yeah. But this is what we do in grief. And for whatever reason, it has become acceptable by society and not just that it has become the norm this is how we deal with grief and i'm like how on earth and why are we doing this to each other in a time when we need it the most we do the exact opposite of what we actually need we need dressing we need healing wounds we need somebody to hold space for us or to hold our hand while we are in the worst pain and not tell us yeah i've been there that's going to just get worse you don't need that so I couldn't find anything. I could not find anything out there just like you couldn't find that podcast, you know. So I went just like you and created my own. I created that support that I felt I needed the most. And I felt that I had gotten to a space where I was like two steps ahead of most people. I had already done this part and already done that part. I had already tried this tool and that tool. So I felt I wasn't done healing when I opened the movement. No but I was ahead enough to share what I had done to get to that space, if that makes sense. And the more I shared, the more I healed. So it was always a couple of steps ahead of the people that came into my movement. And mm. by naming it Loving Life After Loss, it was also a bit of a filter to invite those people in who were seeking that. And it was also a bit of a call to action and a really beautiful way to name your life purpose loving life after loss and i thought what a beautiful love legacy that is for Rob as well to create a space where people can come in and receive hope and healing and happiness what they need you know so when i opened that within a couple of weeks i had a few hundred 
people in there already and then it just kept going from there and the media attention came in and I remember my first bigger media piece coming out in um, the Mamma Mia which was a parenting magazine I had a couple of smaller ones and podcasts but that was one of the bigger ones with four million readers and overnight we doubled the members of like not overnight but within two weeks we doubled the members of the movement and I remember I was in Melbourne at the stage when when that article came out on Boxing Day like just after Christmas I, I had no idea what impact it would have and every hour there were like 50 100 150 people requesting to join a group and I was like oh my god what's happening here and then two of my friends sent me a screenshot of that I had made it to Apple's number one trending news story I had no idea I was so excited about this because I knew what that meant I knew that people had realized that we need hope and I was like wow people are getting the message there is hope out there and I was just so excited and a little side note when I got that screenshot that I made it to Apple's number one trending news story Trump was on number three that day and I was like oh my god this is (laughs) (laughs) Trump number three Marie number one I still have the screenshot it was so exciting for me yeah so that's what really kick-started it and that was not even a year into it and I started developing uh, little healing journeys for people to teach them my tools I started to develop programs and then I also ran my first retreat we are now having another retreat in a couple of weeks time but it's just been so beautiful because it was such a natural progression in creating these things from everything that I had learned, I would create something that would help more people and their journeys and programs and retreats available for people who want that support. Given that you're in the US, most of the programs that are run are online, obviously not the retreats, but uh, the programs that are run are online. It's actually pretty much 50% of my audience comes from the US and Canada and the other 50% from Australia. So mm-hmm. that's the majority of people that I work with anyway, because they work so nicely with my time zone, if that makes sense. My morning is your evening, so it works pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you talked about that. You know, my experience with the podcast, certainly I couldn't find anything, but I did find a difference that you didn't find with a grief support group because mm-hmm. I've talked to many people that have gone to grief support groups and the people there seem stuck. Yeah. But with the Starlight Ministries Grief Support Group, that is a very beautifully done program, too, mm. because it's a two-year curriculum. So it's six-week wow. sessions, and it, yeah. they do like four sessions per year. Mm-hmm. And after eight sessions, you're all done. Wow. And you can do it again but mm-hmm. if you need to. But most people usually don't, yeah. right? Because the goal is that you are healing. Mm-hmm. And that is the goal when you go there. To these grief support groups it's to actually heal not yeah. to just commiserate yeah. and that is That's a beautiful big. difference yeah yeah it is big and i also felt i know going in we all shared our stories that we do that week mm. two we everyone shares their story and we got done and i remember saying to eric oh i'm so glad i wasn't that person i'm so glad i wasn't that person because that mm. was so much worse and that was so much worse mm. and then other people came up to me saying i'm so glad i wasn't you because yours is the worst and so it ended up being the opposite of what you had said that mm. really i kept looking i would look at these other people and think 
mine didn't feel so bad because you know mm. what you know, right? And yeah. when you don't know yeah. somebody else's pain and that like, I just couldn't imagine watching my child suffer and die, Yeah. right? At, at least Andy died quickly and he was, yeah. you know, we were talking about Lord of the Rings and then, you know, it was the next second. So, but then those same people said, well, at least I got to say goodbye. You didn't even get to say goodbye. That's so much yeah. worse. And it's, so it's just a different mindset, Absolutely. right? That, that was Absolutely. a completely different grief support group than you did. two sides to each story. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm just feeling with them. And I felt like we sort of carried each other's burdens a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you go through this kind of curriculum and you get out the other side feeling better. Mm -hmm. And that's what the goal should be. Yeah. Now, I've talked, I remember this dad out in California that was going to a grief support group, and he said, I realized everybody was exactly the same, and I kept going, and no one was changing except for me. And uh, I realized I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't yeah. be in a group where no one was changing, yeah. because the whole goal is to change and to yeah. get better and to yeah. get some of your life back and not stay in the deep, dark hole. Your environment plays such a huge role. If you just have people around you that are naysayers or don't believe that it will get better, it is not nurturing for you to change, to heal. You know, if you have people around you, that holds space for you. And I'm also saying that because it's not those people say it will get better, you'll get through this. It's nice to hear, but yeah. you usually go into yeah. a space of, well, either how dare you or how would you know? But, you know, having people that really hold space for you, like really mm -hmm. hold space, that is such a gift. So, yeah, your your environment makes a huge difference. Right. And helping you carry your burden, I think. Because I have heard this analogy that grief can feel like a huge boulder that you're mm. dragging behind you and mm. it's holding you back. But mm. over time the boulder becomes a rock that you can kind of carry, but it's really heavy. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes something that you can even kind of stick in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And most days you go around okay, but every once mm -hmm. in a while it'll poke you. And just like mm -hmm. you were talking, you you still get those yeah. moments, the yeah. moments that will get you panicky and get you and bring yeah. you back to that place. And that rock's still going to poke me every once in a while, yeah. but it's not like I'm dragging it yeah. with every single step of my day yeah and you know what else you said Marcy that I really want to highlight I really like that when you said that you know we all shared our story and also when you do the podcast you get people to share the story of about the person that has passed and I want to bring this back to the comparison that we had before with with physical injuries you know when you go to a doctor you have to tell them first what hurts otherwise they can't help you so for me it's always that picking people up from where they're at rather than uh, letting them tell me their story so I can keep them there, if that makes sense, you know. So I would never go, oh, my God, that's really tragic, it's horrible. I have completely let go of that phrase, and some people might not understand that, but I would love to explain that. I'm so sorry for your loss, all my condolences, because there was nothing that I can't even, I, I don't know how to put this into words, but I have to say this condolences line was one of the worst things for me. We, uh, not just the line, I think what people say to you, my condolences, but also the actual condolence line after a funeral, you know, we had that for my dad and I had to stand through hundreds of people saying the same thing to me over and over again. And I remember after the 30th person or something, I literally, it sounds terrible. I literally wanted to punch people. 
I thought if I hear that sentence one more time, and I'm not an aggressive person, but I was in so much pain and I just couldn't hear that one more time, yet people had nothing else to say because that's what society teaches us. So I stopped saying that. Well, you know what my favorite thing that people said to me was? Yeah, please. My favorite thing it was, I have no words for you. Because yeah. that was the truth. It's the truth. Exactly. Because no one had yeah. any words that I wanted to yeah. hear. So yeah. it was so much better when they didn't yeah. try, Absolutely. but they were there. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And so more. to say, I have yeah. no words for you, but know that I'm here, that's, that's all I yeah. need. I need yeah. to know that you're here beside me. Yeah. But saying anything yeah. ended up being hard. Like, yeah. I... I get that. I'm sorry yeah. for your loss. It's just like, ugh, I, it just ends up grating on you yeah. a little bit. But if they try to turn it around, like, well, at least he didn't suffer or yeah. he's in a better place oh or my all God. of that kind of garbage that just made me want to punch them. That least, exactly. made me want to punch. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hear you loud and clear, Marcy, that thing, at least he's in a better place now. This is something for us to decide, to discover. It is a gift. Yeah. That if we ever get to that, that we are to discover about our loved ones. If somebody else says it to us, they rob us from that gift and they make it a very negative experience because you literally right. go into this, how dare you say that? And who are you to tell me that? Because, but because I want him here. Yeah. I don't of care course. if it's better. It yeah. may be better. Yeah. It is not better for me. Yeah. You know, it is not better for me. And yeah. to have someone tell me that mm. was just really horrible. And then I felt yeah. like, you know, I wanted to punch him. And then I felt guilty that I wanted to punch him because they were really trying yeah. to be nice. Yeah. yeah that, so that was my favorite thing. But it's a lot to ask for when you're already going through that and, yeah, and have to be nice. Now, I have no words for you. Yeah, absolutely. The other mm. thing I tell people is, you know, now I've, I've learned is, is don't say, um, you know, how many kids you have or sh or or anything like that or mm. but if you say tell me about your family oh i love that so Thank i'm telling you, you that because Absolutely. i think you can use that as well tell me about your family because you can say that oh. to someone who's widowed or whatever and it doesn't label them so neutral it opens up the conversation love it yeah thank you it's yeah. so beautiful i love it i thought you're going to use this one that's why i'm telling you that absolutely one. yeah wow yeah well Thank you so much for bring, being on the podcast today. I, this has just been a joy and I really mm. enjoyed talking to you and I know oh. my listeners are going to get so much out of this. Thank you so Even much. Though you're a little bit different than my normal guests. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed being here and I feel very, very privileged that you opened this door for me to share this message because I understand that some people might listen to this and think, how dare you tell me that you have never lost a child. So I really, mm -hmm. I really hear you. I understand that. And you're absolutely right to say that. And the reason why we got together was because I deal with parents that have lost a child on a daily basis. One of my moderators in my group is a bereaved parent. He's one of the most positive supporters of this movement and shares some really amazing stories about his son and how he has dealt with his adversity and overcome it and is now here to help others heal. So it is really amazing. And yeah, Marcy, I cannot wait to share you with my audience. I'm really looking forward to that interview too. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so you tell people your website so they can they can log on. It's mariealessi.com, M-A-R-I-E-A-L-E-S-S-I. -S 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 
com. So you literally find everything there, the link to my book, to my podcast, to my interviews, to my group, to my program, to chat to me. You find everything there. So you learn a lot more about and me. And I know you will all love it because that's what got me. Oh, I, I read you. her email and I thought, eh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went on the website and then I went from maybe to definitely. So yeah. Thank you again. Definitely, maybe. I'm so grateful we met. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.